0: If you look at what is considered one of the most famous Christmas songs, not the ones that are played on repeat on the, the radio or played on repeat, uh, you know, like songs, I, I hate like, baby, it's cold outside. If we could cut that out of our like music itinerary, I hate that song, Randy, I know it's your favorite. You sing it to Jill all the time. But hey, I hate that song. No, <laughs> oh, Nice, nice. <laughs> Any song by Mariah Carey sung during this season, I, I just hate. Um, but there, there are certain songs that, that for, uh, throughout history that are just known for being, being famous. And the song that often hits the top in the church singing uh, is Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The earth received her king. We had a great conversation in the car. Isaac goes, okay, why is the earth her king? Yeah, Jude asked the same question. And we had this long theological question about the earth, and we talked about the church. Why is the church even considered a her, a female, right? And guys in the room, yeah, yeah, help me answer that one. Christ the, the groom, the church is the, the bride, and so it's there's that connection. Anyway, theological question aside, we love to sing joy to the world. The Christ has come. You know, he's it's this, yeah. Let's we, we want to sing it on, on Christmas Eve. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. But that song wasn't originally written for Christmas. In fact, it wasn't even written to be a song. It was Isaac Watts, one of the greatest hymn writers uh, in church history, wrote it. In in 1719, he published a book of poems, a book of poems in in which each poem was based on a psalm. And rather than just translate the Old Testament text, he adjusted them to uh, refer more explicitly to the work of Jesus to show their focus on Christ. So one of these poems is an adaptation of Psalm 98 and Psalm 96. He wrote this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the trumpet, and with sounds of melody, with trumpets and the the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. So he interpreted this psalm as a celebration of Jesus' role as king of the universe, as, as the king of the church. And more than a century later, the second half of this poem was slightly adapted and was set to music to give us one of the most famous of all Christmas carols. But it makes you wonder, though, doesn't it? Joy to the world. It makes us wonder, what kind of joy is he talking about? <clears throat> Typically, in, in the church calendar, this would be considered the third Sunday of Advent. And during the third Sunday of Advent, they we the church typically talks about joy in it in Christ's first coming and how he ushers in joy but if you really think about it with this focus on joy i really struggle i wonder do we really understand joy often i think that joy is found in short supply these days there's an uptick in in people desiring to connect with counselors because, man, I'm just not finding joy in my workplace. I'm not finding joy and satisfaction in my marriage. I'm finding struggling just with me as a person. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with finding hope and happiness and satisfaction in all these areas of my life. So you wonder, are we suffering from a deficit in joy? It's like we are suffering from what psychologists call the paris effect have you ever heard of the paris effect it's it's the kind of disappointment that first time visitors have when they go to paris the paris effect if you really look and you think about Paris, it's like this, this romantic, beautiful, wonderful place where there's just love on the streets and cafes are, are filled and brim, brimming with people eating croissants and, and coffee or wine and cheese and danishes. And it's just this happy, joy-filled kind of place. But a 2015 article in the Wall Street Journal explains that this Paris effect often affects women who arrive expecting an affluent and friendly European capital where slim and beautiful Parisians walk around smelling of Chanel Number 5. <laughs> the article went on to note that many visitors expect a place full of beauty, romance, and wealth. Instead, they find pavements peppered with cigarette butts and aggravated commuters in packed metro trains. For some, the shock is too much to bear, prompting them to seek medical help, (laughs) medical help for symptoms that may include irritability, fear, obsession, depression, depressed mood, insomnia, and a feeling of persecution by the French. In extreme cases, the only remedy is a one-way ticket out of France. In other words, disappointment sets in when visitors realize that the daily life of the City of Lights is nothing like the romanticized vision that they find in the movies or in these Dior kind of commercials. The suggested images of Paris in media inevitably just kind of has this buildup of high expectations and it creates a room, plenty of room for disappointment. And that is often what life feels like. We've got these amped up feelings we see it on media we see it in the movies we see it in the the, the hallmark kind of stuff where it's like this is what it's supposed to be like and then we have these amped up feelings my job is supposed to be great it's supposed to be satisfying my marriage my relationship my friendships are supposed to be like this my kids are supposed to be like this and all of a sudden We sing these songs like joy to the world. The Lord has come. And then all of a sudden we go, is this just a sentimental song that we sing? Or is there something really available for me now? And so as somebody who is really personally interested in, in joy, I want to know if there is something That we can expect, not just in this Christmas season, but beyond. We're spending more and more money trying to be happy. We're looking all over the place for happiness. Books are coming out, and we have more than ever before. Our pantries, our closets, our bank account, whether you believe it or not, you have more than most people in the world, but yet we are not happier. So, can we discover joy? And Isaiah has something important for us to discover. So, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to start at verse 16 and we're going to read through chapter 9, verse 7. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the Medians and the Necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should there, they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And they are hungry, They will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and their faces and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of the Midian, of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace and the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. So we've been looking at the book of Isaiah for the past few weeks. And just as a reminder, Isaiah was a prophet who lived some 2,700 years ago. And he lived in the southern kingdom of Israel. And if you remember from our study of the book of Amos, uh, Judah is in the lower section. Israel is in the northern section. And He is speaking and writing at the time when the Assyrian empire has grown and was gobbling up the northern empire so that its borders were just eight miles away from Jerusalem. Something imminent is going to be coming. And it's called occupation. An Assyrian occupation. But they were doing okay in one sense. The The economy was good, and many of them were living okay financially. Things were going okay. But the world was a, a very uncertain place. They did not know what was going to happen. World events were, were threatening to just swallow them up at any moment. So the question for even me is: I'm reading this, and probably a good question for you is, what do you do? How do you react when you are squeezed? When things are uncertain. And that was the decision that Judah had to kind of figure out. The question they were wrestling is, what do we do when something disastrous is imminent? It is at our back door. It is eight miles away from our capital city, Jerusalem. How do we react when we are squeezed? When I am squeezed, I bite. When I I am squeezed... Sometimes I disappear. And I go to things that are safe and secure. Sometimes it's isolation. I don't know how you act in your times of being squeezed. Some of you have watched. You flip out. You bite back. You throw. Or you just turn off and just become here. Israel had to figure this out. And what did they do? They made a series of just tragic decisions. They trusted the wrong things. And if you go back to the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah said this in chapter one, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and they are utterly estranged. They trusted in foreign kings the, the king of Egypt, then the king of, uh, of Assyria, then the king of Babylon. They trusted outside sources. They trusted other gods, and they even ultimately trusted themselves. And, and it's the same problem that we face today. Mark Dever, in one of his small little books called The Messenger of the Old Testament, wrote this We are God's special people. And we are often tempted individually and corporately to put our trust in the wrong things, right? We do that. In your own life, what motivates you, he says? What are your real goals, your real ambitions, your real purposes? And what do you trust in to accomplish those, those ends? Is what you are hoping in enough to focus your whole being? And is what you are trusting in enough to carry you through your whole life? From Isaiah, he says, listen, I have three pathways for you when it comes to joy. I've got three things for you just to really, if you could just master this when it comes to joy. And here's the first one. The path to joy is not popular. Is it not up there? That's all right. Take good notes the end of the eighth chapter is absolutely depressing people are consulting fortune tellers and they are trying to get messages to the dead man we we see this right even on the tv shows and so isaiah speaks some strong words of judgment Man, they will pass through the land. They're going to be greatly distressed and hungry. This is in chapter eight. They, they, when, they, when they are hungry, they are enraged and they'll speak contemptuously against their king and their God. Their faces are going to turn upward and they're going to look to the earth. But behold, all they can find is distress and darkness. They're going to find gloom, uh, gl- the gloom of anguish. And they're going to be thrust into this thick darkness. They, they, these people are going to be ultimately going into exile. They are going to be judged by God. And Isaiah describes this scene as just thick darkness. Thick darkness. There's nothing to encourage you in this passage. They have departed from God's ways. They have sought hope and happiness outside of themselves. And what happens to their scene is they are trying to find happiness, trying to find joy, trying to find security, safety, and everything. What happens to their world? It becomes thick pudding-like Darkness. But there's good news, as we've learned from last week. There's good news amidst the bad. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teachings among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on on Mount Zion. So here's the first, first news that can lead us to joy. Even when bad things are happening and evil people seem to be having the upper hand in our lives, God always has his people. Isaiah pictures a group of people who are gathered underneath God's word, who who are being safeguarded by God's word. And Isaiah speaks on their behalf. He's speaking for them. And he says that he is waiting for God and hoping in God, even though God seems to be hiding his face. I don't know if any of you ever have that experience. In the midst of your depression, in the midst of your sadness, in the midst of your hopelessness, you are going, God, where are you? It seems as if God is hiding his face. Anybody ever have that? He seems to be hiding his face, but Isaiah makes a decision, right? He makes this decision and says, I will hope in him. Even when God's face seems to be hidden, I is, Isaiah is saying, listen, I have confidence in God even though the darkness is gathering around me. So the pathway to joy isn't popular. It's often found among people who are swimming against the flow. Joy is even often found in the midst, in, in the margins. So don't go looking for joy in the usual places or the places that the world is telling you that joy is found here. Because Isaiah reminds you, you won't find it there. Or if you find it, it's going to be fleeting. Joy, the path to joy is not always popular. Second, the path to joy isn't expected you see in in the first two verses of isaiah 9 but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond jordan And he goes on to say, the people who walked in darkness, those people have seen a great light. And those who have dwelt in the land of deep, dark darkness, on them light has shone. Galilee was in in north of Judah. And it was technically the most diverse part of Israel. Which means this is the place where there was less belief In Israel's God. It was diverse. It was a mess. But it was also the first place that Assyria would conquer as they made, as they came south to steamroll over Israel. Armies would rape, they would pillage, they would steal on their way to Jerusalem, and they would come through Galilee first. And it was the last place that you would expect for God to move. But God always loves to do this. He always seems to love to work in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. That's how God works. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that this promise was fulfilled when Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. So who should you expect Who would you expect that a baby born in the backwater place would end up becoming our savior? Who would you expect that he would choose to start his ministry in the middle of nowhere? But that is exactly what God loves to do. James uh, Francis, Alan Francis wrote this. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village. The child of a peasant woman. <clears throat> Makes no sense, right? He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher, preached from place to place to place. He never owned a home, he never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He never, he had no credentials but himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied them. He was turned over to to, want, to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves, and while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his only piece of property: his coat. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. 19 long centuries have come and gone, and today he is a centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. Francis goes on to say, I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched All the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Would you, you would never expect to find joy or meaning in the birth of someone like Jesus? It's unexpected. God is working in these amazing ways through an unexpected person. Joy doesn't come in popular or expected ways. And here's the third pathway it comes through the birth of a baby. So there's this place called Barrow, Alaska, it is the northernmost city in the United States. It is 320 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Some, uh, I believe 4,000 people live there. Why? I have no clue. (coughs) Illinois is warmer. It's balmy here. Listen, their forecast, the city of Barrow's high temperature is above freezing only 120 days a year while temperatures are at or below zero degrees 160 days a year. The sun set there on the afternoon of November 18 and won't rise again. The sun won't rise again until January 22. And on that day, there will only be 26 minutes of, of uh, daylight. 26 minutes! What? Stupid! <laughs> But according to Isaiah, that is us, isn't it? We live in darkness and we don't even notice. We don't even notice it. But then we read this. The people who walked in that kind of darkness it was far more bleak. It was dark. It was it was thick as pudding. It It's this darkness. These people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. What is he talking about? In Isaiah's time, God promised a sign to the king during that time. He said, listen, King Ahaz, a child is going to be coming. A child is going to be coming and that child will be a sign that God has not forgotten you. The child would be evidence that Ahaz did not need to trust in any foreign powers. He did not need to buy into and have treaties with any other people. He could trust in God and that would be enough. A child is coming. The birth of this child would be proof that God is with his people and they could depend on him. But verses 6 and 7 show that Isaiah is talking more than just the birth of a child in his days. The words that he uses doesn't work for any ordinary baby. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government is going to be upon whose shoulders? His shoulders. And his name, this child's name is going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. King Ahaz Children of Israel, Missio Day Church, put your hope in no other place than in this child. Your marriage is not the cure. Your financial security, your job, your children, your friendships, your home none of those things will ever give you the safety and security or joy that you will find in Christ Jesus. Joy, my friends, comes not in popular or expected ways, but joy comes through this child. That is where joy comes. So my question for each and every one of you is what are you trusting in? I'm not looking for an answer right now but I want you to struggle with it. I know some of your stories. I know it happens when you get squeezed. What are you trusting in? It seems to make a lot of sense to trust in ourselves, man, because it's the only person I really know It makes sense to maybe even trust our careers and and other people. And according to Isaiah, that will never work. When we look at all the things that we suffer from, we go, we're experiencing the Paris effect. The world promises these beautiful kind of vignettes of happiness and joy And what does it do? It plummets us into depression, sadness, disappointment, loss, disconnect. Joy comes not from popular expected ways. It comes through Jesus. And you'd never expect this. Verse three says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest. In other words, at harvest time in Israel is when the party begins. The harvest has come in. We have worked our tail off in, in planting, in, in tilling, and in cultivating, and fertilizing, and doing all this. And finally, the harvest is in. And what are we going to do? We are going to celebrate. It's like Israel has no choice to compare that joy when it comes, that comes with the arrival of Jesus to common everyday experiences of joy that we can all relate to. It's like a do you remember when that happened? We had this bountiful experience of bringing in the harvest. Do you remember that party? It pales in comparison to the real joy that we have in Christ. And that's what Isaiah does in this passage. Isaiah is talking about something that's going to happen and he's comparing it to a harvest time. And when all your hard work is over, you're persevering, you're working through this life, the party begins. Or maybe it's that the end of the battle. There was also that picture of this battle. As they are glad when the, they divide the spoil. That's a picture of wartime. Some of you feel like I am in a war. I have a wartime mentality all the time. I'm struggling to pay bills. I'm struggling in this relationship. I'm struggling for happiness. It's a kind of a wartime kind of thing but imagine at the end of the war you get to divide all the spoils from the, the conquering of that thing and Isaiah says oh you thought that felt nice I got something bigger I've got something better so my friends do you want joy do you yeah, I mean just really deep-seated, lasting, abounding joy. Do you want the kind of joy that when people look at you, they go, your circumstances suck, but there's something about your countenance. The way that you are walking and talking and your outlook in life is different from anything that I have ever seen. It changes the way that we talk about our circumstances. And I cannot pay my bills. Hmm. But right now you have a home. Right now you have friendships. God has provided and you have not gone without a meal. You have clothes on your back. Praise be to God. My joy will be most beautifully fulfilled on that last day when I can see him face to face. But right now, even though it feels like God's face is hiding from me, I still trust in him. It changes the way too when we look at our our human relationships too, right? And right now, this human relationship is not hitting like it's supposed to. Man, we, we feel like we are in constant tension. It feels like things just are not hitting. And it doesn't feel intimate. It doesn't feel friendly. It doesn't feel... We're always in this tense kind of battle going on. But you know, welcome to this world where sin abounds, right? And it takes two to tango. Two sinful wants to tangle. But you know what? Even in the midst of that, we have a Savior who says, Ah, my grace is sufficient for you today. And you know what? It's also sufficient for the other one. Remember the mercy that I've given to you. Offer that mercy to another. And in that you find joy. Because that's relying upon that promised king. The one who was promised. The one who came. The one who is with us, right? We don't believe that Jesus is up here in in heaven and kind of every once in a while shows up at church. He indwells within us by his spirit. Christ with us. So my friends, do you want joy? Look in those surprising places. Look to Jesus. You can have the joy of knowing that your personal sins are forgiven, that you are endlessly, endlessly loved by God, and that his kingdom is breaking into your putting thick darkness. I love that picture. He is breaking into the total darkness of our world and our lives. And when you turn on a flashlight, and just so you know, Jesus is the high beams. Darkness does what? Scatters. So my friends, there's no better news than knowing that this king has come And is coming again. And that is why Isaac Watts could write that poem that became a hymn. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth, you, receive her king at every heart prepare room for that king Amen